You are now tuned in to the Addicted to Success.com podcast, where geniuses, entrepreneurs, and next level game changers share their juicy little secrets on achieving massive success. This is the advice you wish you heard years ago. Be prepared and take note as we expose the realness and the raw of what it takes to be successful on Addicted to Success.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Addicted to Success podcast. Now today we have Eli Wilhide on the line, and Eli is a top peak performance and fitness coach, and uh, actually Eli has been awarded by Tony Robbins with the Chairman's Award as one of the top performers in the company. So uh, I'm really excited to speak to Eli today and really find out, you know, what's his background, how he came on Tony's radar and what he's doing with his life right now and, and how he's transforming others. So, Eli, welcome to the Addicted to Success podcast. Thank you, brother. How are you? I'm doing good, man. Doing good. Um, something that I want to pull up, actually, something that really stood out to me was I came across, I, I've heard your name here and there, right? And uh, first it was with Jarek, Jarek Robbins. And the second time I saw you on Facebook and I actually saw one of your status updates come up and you said something like, you know, information is not what changes people's lives. You can read books, go to seminars, and do all these great things to educate yourself, but it's the experiences, the moments of the experiences that really impact us, the magic moment in our lives that really shape who we are. And I love that, man. That resonates so deeply with me. And I wanted to know, you know, could you tell me some of the magic moments that you feel has really shaped your life? Wow. There's, uh, there's so many. You know, it's like, I think that we all... You know, we, we look back on our lives and you know, even somebody, if you've been around people who've, who have passed, and, and I have, you know, they, they look back on their life and they say there's certain moments that they remember and, and there's certain moments that define us. And I think that when you look at our lives, you know, they say that, well, let, let me just say that first, we all have certain results in our life, in our finances, how much money is in our bank account, in our body, our relationships, we all have different results. But the results that we have, come from the actions that we take or don't take every single day. Our actions come from our decisions. Our decisions come from our thoughts. And all the thoughts that come from, you know, the 60,000 thoughts that go through our head every day come from our beliefs. What we believe about ourselves, what we believe about people, about money, about love, about anything. These beliefs, these feelings that we have about ourselves or business or people or life really shape our world, these global beliefs. And everything that we believe about ourselves, about people, about anything, these beliefs have been formed from our experiences. We had an experience where somebody said, you're smart, you're beautiful, something happened. We had an experience of something that really shaped what we believed about people or love or, or you know, what's going on in the world. And those beliefs equal our results. So it's, it's fascinating when you look at somebody and two people can have two completely identical experiences but produce different results because they make those experiences mean something. And to answer your question, the first kind of, I guess, you know, magic moment that I can think of, I, I can think of so many, but we, we grew up really, really poor. And uh, my father got put in a wheelchair when I was about two. And, you know, from a, from a car accident, and he was like this big, strong, kind of tough guy. And he, and he couldn't walk anymore. So it was just, it was a bit traumatic. And, um, you know, he ended up buying, you know, taking the insurance money. I think he spent like $5,000 for a duplex house. So we lived in one side of it and rented out the other side. And we lived on that income. 
and things were always just just pretty hard. Not to you know not to be like a, a racist statement or anything, but we were the only white family in an all black neighborhood, lower income, um, you know, all black and Hispanic, and it was just it was one of those kind of places. And you know, feeling just really kind of out of place. You know, I mean, even if you were, if I was a black child in an all white neighborhood, it would feel a little bit just out of place. And I just felt like, like wow, you know, this is really intense environment. And there was a lot of negative experiences that I that I took on there that really shaped me in a negative way, where it kind of took away my confidence. And there was, you know, some abuse, and I I saw a lot of violence, and I saw a lot of negative things, and those experiences shaped my my intellect at a very young age where I, I wasn't really tapping into my full potential. But my mom, you know, just bombarded my subconscious constantly telling me that I was an angel and I was special and, you know, great things are going to happen for us. And I remember, you know, eventually when I was five, my mom took me away from that, that home and we were always kind of bouncing around from apartment to apartment. And it wasn't until I was about 15 years old that you know, I was 15 and we had just been kind of going through the same patterns, always kind of struggling. She was waiting tables and, you know, she let me know one day that you know, we're pretty much done. You know, it's like the money's run out. I don't know what I'm going to do. We're pretty much homeless. You're going to move with your father. She's like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And uh, it was kind of a somber week. And I was, I was upstairs one day talking to my best friend named Dave Scrano on the phone. And he was, uh, you know, he was kind of my, just my buddy. And we had both kind of been through a lot and had some troubled childhoods and, my mom would come home from work around 9, 9.30 every night, and when she did, there was that energy. You know, she had this frustrated, you know, not a dark energy, but just this heavy, heaviness is how I could explain it. And when she'd come in and I'd, I'd feel that door slam and it would kind of shake our little house, uh, you know, you could just feel this heaviness come in. And I remember hearing the door slam this night, and she walks in, but tonight her energy was different. You know, on this night, she just walks over, this woman that had been through so much in her life, had to put up with so much, she comes in and she's beaming with confidence. You I mean, you, you think like Tony Robbins' confidence. She was confident. <laughs> it's pretty <And> confident. <laughs> pretty freaking confident. And um, she just looks at me straight in the eye and just looks at me weird, right? And I'm just thinking, what's up? And she goes, Eli, when you get off the phone, I need to talk to you about something. And I'm thinking... What what could that be? And I'm I'm on the phone with David, and we're we're like, what could it be? Could it be this this? And and meanwhile, the whole time I've been talking to David, just on this night, we were talking about we were talking about dreams for some reason. Like, if you could date any girl in the world, what girl would it be? And it, we weren't thinking like <laughs> we weren't thinking like girls on TV. We were thinking like you know Nikki Norin and and Annie Butler, like these girls like in our our class. You know, <laughs> we were thinking like movie stars. We we're like, if you could date any girl in the world, who would it be? It'd be like, oh my God, it's that girl. You know, since <laughs> our science class. You know, it's like it's that. Love it. Like, if you could drive any car. What would it be? We'd be like, oh my God, a Corvette. You know, it wasn't even. Like, <laughs> We were just like, you know, small-minded, and my mom comes up there, and, and then we were talking about, well, he's like, is it this, is it this? I'm thinking, like, did I do something? Did I get in trouble? And, and you know, I just eventually say, I, I got to find out. I go downstairs, and, and my mom is sitting there at the kitchen table. You know, our kitchen, living room, dining room is, like, all one room because we have this really small little duplex. Uh, and she's just, you know, she's sitting there, and, you know, she just – she tells me to sit down and she puts her hand on my leg and I never forget, she looks at me, just looks at her hand for the longest time and, mm -hmm. and I'm like, mom, what's, what's up? 
And she starts going back into this thing like, I've always told you you're an angel and great things are going to happen for us and it's all because of you, and, but you've got to believe in yourself. And we've been through all that. I'm just like, I said, Mom, what's, what's up? What's going on? And she goes, we just won $7 million in the lottery. Wow. I'm going to go to college. We're going to go to school together. She's like, we're going to make it. And it's all because you're special. And so, I mean, not, I'm not saying that I'm special, but when you're a young kid and you've experienced this really intense life and, you know, somebody believes in you so much and they believe in life and they believe in magic and they say that, you know, you've been through all this, but because of this belief, because of believing and because, because of taking action and because of who you are, miracles can happen. Mm. And so when you're a kid, you start to absorb that stuff, you know, you start to believe that, that, you know, you can create magic. And I think that we can all create magic in our lives, but again, it's the experiences that, make us believe something. And I know that not everybody's going to win the lottery, but the experience can be somebody smiling at you. It can be helping somebody. It could be, could be anything. And we've all had experiences. And some people win the lottery and they make it mean like, oh, I deserve that. Or, you know, or they go blow it or they just, they do dumb things because their whole value system and belief system is a little bit, a little bit off. And so for me, with my mom's guidance, it really kind of instilled in me that, that magic can happen if we believe. And so that's something that's, that's a belief that was instilled in me from a young age that has manifested itself over and over and over again for over the past, you know, two decades. Wow, what an amazing story. So you, you guys, did you really step up your lifestyle to that next level, do you feel? Or was your mom pretty still responsible and reasonable with the, the money that you guys had? She is insane because she gave away 75% of it. Oh, you know, because that's just who she is. But you know, she's just an amazing, loving human being. And and uh, I said, Mom, why'd you do that? We, I could be driving like a Dodge Viper or something. And she goes, Well, you know, it's I know I'll go to heaven. That's that's that was her answer. So I said, uh, Well, cool. But she went to school at a community college, and I got to go to school at uh, University of Maryland College Park, study kinesiology and nutrition. And you know, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. But she said, You really like this working out stuff. She says, Now I can you know, afford to put you through school and you can really enhance your education on this. So it's all guided. So I felt like, uh, I felt like it was meant to be. I, I planned on being a Marine. That was my, that was my destiny. And I had a, a Marine pen pal from the time I was in fourth grade. So I just figured that's what was going to happen. And, um, you know, who knows, maybe I would have been, you know, a great warrior like I wanted to be, but anybody that knows my personality, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, I wouldn't say a sissy, but I, I love people and I, I couldn't imagine shooting someone. So, you know, maybe it's meant to be and maybe I would have been killed. I mean, you never know what happened. I mean, you know, years after that, you know, six years after that, we had 9-11 happen. So, you know, I, I'm sure I would have been over there. Um, you know, if I had left at 18 years old and been in the Marines, it, you know, I, I'm sure that I would have gone. 9-11 happened when I was 21. So uh, I definitely would have been there. So who knows? You know, it's, it's hard to say why things happen the way they do. Yeah, and I'm sure you took the right route. You know, we don't, I, I don't, I haven't always made the right route. And, you know, people that went there, you could say they made the right route, wrong route. It's, I, I believe that, you know, this is something that really empowers me, that you don't always make the right choice, but you always have the ability to make the choice right. Yes. Does that make yes. sense? Yeah. Because we've all taken the wrong route at some point, And we think that, you know, that route is leading us in a destination or to a destiny that is taking us completely off course and we'll never get back, but it's just a detour. Because even though we're, we don't always take the right route, but we can always make the route right. We can always make the decision right. And so we could, we could turn things around, we can detour, we can head back, 
you know, we can pave our own road. Um, you know, and we feel too far off, and that's what that's what people do. We've all been off track sometimes. So, I think those guys. I've seen some of those guys at the Tony Robbins events. He has those wounded warriors that come to his events now for free, which is which is really a beautiful thing that Tony does. And um, you know, I've seen these people transform because you know they took a a wrong route, but they really you know they made it per pervasive in their own mind. You know, they stayed off, and you know somebody can change their destiny in a heartbeat. The minute they change their psychology. Yes. 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 Yeah. So, so tell us, Eli, how did you get on Tony's radar? You know, I was, uh, I, I was living here in Los Angeles, and well, it's, I had a job in sales, but um, it's it's a long story. But I, I ended up, I ended up going to this party one night, and I met this guy, and he ended up being this big LA Hollywood agent. And, uh, you know, it ends up him and my ex-girlfriend were really good friends and, you know, her and I had lost contact and, and, you know, so the three of us become reunited. I reunited her with him and, and, you know, so the three of us become really good friends and, uh, long story short, I'll make this as short as possible. He was managing a guy named Tom Welling who was Superman on Smallville yes, and, yes. and Tom, he's one day, he says to me, he calls me, he says, Eli, my guy didn't get the part, but you know, you've met all these people and I, I met some of the people he worked with. And they'd always ask me if I wanted to act. And I was like, yeah, but you know, I got some debt and I just felt like I wasn't confident enough and this and that. And, and he just says, hey, you know, they need somebody now. I think you'd be great for the role of Superman. Superman Returns. Came out in like 2003, 2004. And um, I was like, that'd be pretty cool. And so they put me in private acting classes specifically for it, paid for me for it. And they were like, you know, after a few months, I said, hey, man, you got a real shot at this. And I saw myself on camera, and I just I didn't enunciate certain words, and I was just like, man, I'm not going to do it. And I definitely regretted it. I, I took a wrong route there, and I said, man, it's like, you know, I don't know if I can do it, and I had all this debt, and I felt like I was two roads that I could take. And I took the road that was more comfortable, the, the road to maybe be a movie star, you know, and, and I was inter getting introduced to, like, you know, going to parties with, like, Jessica Alba and people like that, and it was just... I was young and insecure, and then I saw myself on camera, and just I don't know if you've you've watched yourself on camera for the first time, or so, even listened to your own voice. Yeah. We all hate the way we look and sound, and to me it was like horrifying. And they were like, "No, nah, it's good," but they they still pointed out things that I wasn't doing 100% perfect, and you're you know you're insecure. It's just you know it just it really got to me. So I walked away from the opportunity, and I said I didn't want to do it. He called me hundreds of times, and I said, "Yeah, I just I'm just not going to do it." And so fast forward a year. I'm the top salesperson for this dental company and I'm making good money, but I'm, I'm depressed and unhappy. And so I quit the job and that's when I went to Australia for the first time. Um, and I, I figured I just want to get away. I did the East Coast and I wasn't drinking or anything, but it was like the East Coast of, you know, Sydney to Cairns. It was just, it was party everywhere. And I really just kind of wanted to take some time. I went to Fraser Island. I went to Whit Sundays. You know, I went to all up to Cairns, spent some time out there, Barrier Reef, all that stuff. And it was still, I was just, I felt like something was lacking. And I felt disconnected. And when I got back, I, I, I heard about this thing called NLP, neurolinguistic programming. And I was like, that sounds pretty cool. And I started reading up on it and getting all these books and going to seminars. And I, I really wanted to like master this stuff so I could really not, not just use it for a therapeutical, ther therapeutic reference to help others, but I really wanted to fix my own stuff. You know, when you meet a lot of these people that go to seminar after seminar, they're really just trying to fix their own stuff. You know, it's like they say they're life coaches and this and that, but they got their own stuff. And, I, and for me, I just had a bunch of my own stuff um, that I wanted to work on. And somebody says to me, well, of course you've heard of Tony Robbins. You should go to a Tony Robbins event. And I'm like, who's Tony Robbins? And uh, 
I got his book the next day, Unlimited Power. I was blown away. I got Get the Edge, his audio program. I listened to the whole thing in like 36 hours straight. It just, just like absorbed this stuff. And I was like, oh my God, I mean, this guy is he's amazing. And I saw a week later, there was one of those learning annex events with like, you know, Donald Trump, Robert Kiyosaki, Susie Orman. It's like 30,000 people. And, you know, they just try to pitch and sell you stuff. Tony opened the event. And of, and of course, he did pitch and sell the seminar, but there was like 30,000 people there. I was all the way in the back of the room. And so it's Tony, Tony Robbins, six foot seven, six foot eight, whatever. He looked like, you know, he's teeny because I was so far away. But it just like, I felt like he was speaking right to me. And it was like, it was like a thousand bucks. It was 900 bucks to go to the seminar. I think I had a thousand bucks in my bank account. And I, he just like, I was so fired up though. I said, I got to do it. I signed up for a seminar, walking, you know, I went and it was, um, it was June 2005 that I went to the event, walked on the fire, all that stuff. And at this point, I really had like no money in my bank account. And uh, I was just, I was fired up. I felt like I could do anything when I walked out of there. I learned some, some tools that really empowered me. And I was living in Santa Monica. And you've been to Santa Monica, obviously. Yes. Yeah, yeah I have. I love it there. Yeah, there's, there's on the back part of Santa Monica towards the Santa Monica airport. Yes. There's, um, you know, there's like these little homes. It's not the nice part, like 28th and Ocean Park. Um, Cloverfield Park, there's a little park there. And living in my little teeny apartment, I was paying 500 bucks a month for rent. Um, wasn't anything fancy. There was gang members all there. You know, the, my next door neighbor gave people tattoos and I'd always smell like pot. <laughs> you know, just, <laughs> the ghetto. <laughs> Ghetto of Santa Monica. It's hard to believe there is one, but it's not the nicest part. But uh, I, I was, I would walk around that park every morning, and I remember seeing somebody do these like group Tai Chi classes there, and and I remember like hearing Tony talks about. Tony was saying, you know, he did. He's from nothing. Forefathers. He had this whole story, and I, I really connected with his story. And I was in such a low place. He says all I had was my emotion and my certainty and the power of my own two lips to go out there and make something happen. So I, I saw this person doing these classes in the park, and I got this idea. I put up flyers all over the park for my own company. I called it Gymless Fitness. And I put, you know, one of those like little flyers where you, you tear away the phone number, and I said, text me, you know, if you want to come to this. It's, uh, we do three classes a day here in the park at 10, 12, and 3, and it's donation only. Recommended donation, 10 bucks. My first month, I made, I made like $2,800, all donations. Because I was just doing group exercise classes you know, just like basically calisthenics and things like that. There was old people, you know, I'm, I'm walking their hands, we're walking in a circle and I was just, just fired up to connect with people and teach some of the people that I was meeting about some of the strategies that I would learn and I really believe that I had something in me. Again, it wasn't some script, it wasn't some like Tony Robbins technique. It just, I really believe there was some energy, some, some voice that was coming through me that I would allow me to fill up other people in a way that would bring them more health and vitality and aliveness and just connection with themselves, get them out of their heads and into their bodies by moving. And so I really just wanted to bring that. And I did that and I made some money. And, and I, I remember just, I, I'm listening to all these Tony Robbins tapes like every day. And, um, and, I would, and he, he's always asking these kind of questions like, you, you know, if you could do anything, what would you, what would you want to do? And I thought to myself, Man, I'd, I'd like to be a speaker and I'd like to work for Tony Robbins. So I, I just decided one day that's what I'm going to do. And I called his company. And of course, when you call there, it's like you're talking to a salesperson who's, 
at the time probably working out of some like call center and you know in Egypt or something I don't know but uh, you know they don't they don't want to talk to you about anything and uh, you know I just I just kept on calling and calling I called like like literally about 400 times and I was just always trying to get one more piece of information and I figured if I could use some of the honest techniques that I learned from Tony uh, on day two he talks about rapport I said if I can line with somebody connect with them make them laugh and if I had something unique to say every single time to move the conversation forward I'll, I'll eventually get a name. And I was getting a name. Like I got the name of a guy named Gene McNaughton, who was the VP of sales. I ended up getting his email. And um, it, now he's, he's one of my mentors. He's a, a good friend. He was the vice president of Tony's company. And he left Tony and then he went to started one coach with John Asaraf. And then he started, uh, you know, he helped start BBI, business breakthroughs with Chet Holmes. Um, and now he does his own consulting. So just a real powerhouse. And you know, he hired me on, he gave me a script, 28 pages, he said, come back here in a week, don't mess it up. I nail this thing out of the park. And then within a week, they, they flew me to Philly, then New York, and, and I got trained by a couple people who are still my friends to, to go out there and deliver Tony content. Um, I did really well. And, you know, after doing this for a couple years, Tony's son, Jarek, wanted to be a speaker and just so happened that he became my roommate, Scott Humphrey, who is a uh, now kind of taken over Tony's company, um, Tony's brother-in-law, also became a roommate and we all lived together and uh, really just learned a lot in that time and then I, you know, I, I got back into the acting thing and had some success but you know, I worked for Tony for about three and a half, four years and I never had a conversation once with him one time those first few years but that's how I was basically kind of introduced to his, his, uh, his, his work. Yeah. Is that how it usually goes when you work for Tony? Like you don't get to really work so much with him. It's you, you work your way up over the years. Like he likes you to learn all the tools and, and everything first and then you get to have more one-on-one -on -one time with him. You know, it's a, even now it's, it's rare that anybody has any one-on-one -on -one time with, with Tony. Just the way that his life is structured. I mean, 13 companies, this and that. But, uh, you know, I got lucky in some ways and some things kind of worked out just divine timing and and at this point you know when I left Tony's company the first time we had never had a conversation but uh, I actually have it on audio we I came back to the company a few a few years later and we just he was doing a small group uh, boot camp on how to be more influential and kind of the behind the scenes Tony Robbins voodoo stuff if, if, if there is any voodoo you see him up there on stage for 15 hours and you're wondering how can you know, most people can't sit through a two, three hour movie that costs $200 million to make. There's one guy speaking for 15 hours and you're, you don't want to leave, you're engaged. It's kind of like, well, how does he do that? You know, open loops, NLP, hypnosis, um, different, you know, different linking. And you're like, how does he do it? And so he took a, a weekend boot camp and he taught a lot of that stuff and it was profound. Um, and that's the first time we had a conversation. Uh, so... And based on that conversation, it led to other conversations. And then I think any time that, you know, if you were working for any company, Microsoft or um, a bike company or, you know, Honda, if you're the top person and you're consistently producing five to six times more results than everybody else in the company, well, that's, he's going to see that. That's going to stand out. And if you've been to a Tony event, he talks about, you know, how we're rewarded in life for, you know, poor versus good versus excellent versus outstanding. Like the gold medal, you know, the person that wins the gold medal, 
Yeah. They're awarded massively disproportionately from the person that gets the silver or the bronze or the person that's the fourth fastest human on earth gets the memory they were there. They get nothing, not a zip, <laughs> zilch. <laughs> but for the gold, you become a hero for life. And so inside of his company, if you are completely outstanding, standing out from everybody else, you know, and I really took that on. I took on a lot of his concepts. And so even, you know, I saw a lot of other talented speakers there, but I was like, I need to dominate these people. <laughs> I need to make sure that it's not even close. And I've always been competitive. And so that's, that's one of the reasons I think Tony, you know, aligned with me because he saw some of himself in me because, you know, he's, you know, he always wanted to be the best and you don't get to be as good as he is without wanting to be outstanding. Um, you know, and now I'm fortunate to, to coach a lot of folks and I have a lot of mentors and friends who are outstanding at what they do. And it's, it's great to create that peer group for yourself and people that really want to create something special and really push themselves daily, condition themselves to be, have, and do more in the world. Mm. So yeah, it was that, that connection is what, what bonded us more than, you know, anything I could have done. Yeah. Excellent. And I'm sure that Tony's standards are like sky high, right? <laughs> pretty, yeah. pretty hard to touch that bar. <laughs> yeah. He's uh he's a, you know, in my opinion, I, I think he's one of the greatest men to, to live today, but you know, perhaps ever by the time he's done, he's still, still relatively young for, and it's amazing all the things that he's created and the lives, the lives that he's touched. Yeah, it makes me wonder what the uh, self-development industry is going to be like when he moves on, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he's, uh, he's a real deal. You know, it's like I was saying to you before in our conversation, it's like when you really allow things to, to come through you, when you stand for something and an outcome, and, you know, you really have a belief inside of you, you know within yourself that you have so much value to give that it's like if people don't get this, they're going to be hurt, and you know that you have something to provide a value as opposed to trying to sell something or promote something. You know, it's like his, his last book, it's, you know, it's 50 million people he's going to feed, and then he's getting the funds to feed another 50 million people. So he's going to feed 100, or he's going to feed 100 million people. So he's really just, you know, that's, that's more than just trying to make a buck. Um, and I think that, unfortunately, the self-development industry has become a lot of that, not, not really serving. Um, you know, and it's, it's, all about, it's all about service. And the more people we can serve, the better off we'll be. Yes. Yeah, and that's epic, man. 150 million. Whoa. 100 that's million crazy. people. 100, 100 million. Yeah, that is crazy. That's crazy. And he's not taking any money from that book, is he? It's, it's just all all the sales, 100% of the profits go go to feed America, right? That's that's what I'm understanding. Yeah. No, that's crazy. So earlier on in this conversation, you did say that you were introduced to NLP or you were reading books on NLP. I actually yeah. had the chance to uh, train with Richard Bandler out in London. For, wow. for 10 days and it was, it was an amazing experience i wasn't yeah. so interested in the hypnosis side of it all to be honest i felt it was like a little bit dark i was more interested in the theory side of it all you know how the brain works and the unconscious and the conscious mind and so on what uh what has been the standout thing that you've taken from your uh, studies and research into nlp you know just um I think for ourselves, you know, again, the, the Bandler stuff, he's kind of all over the place and is every other word is a cuss word. You know, I'm kind of like, yes, I'm getting it, but I don't understand. And, you know, just supposedly there's something happening there when you're, you go to one of his events. And he is a genius. There's no, there's no doubt about it. But uh, I, I think the NLP, the, the best thing I got it, about it is using some of the, the auditory or visual cues, you know, moving things, images closer, further away understanding of someone is auditory, kinesthetic, using it as a communication model 
to really understand and appreciate someone's world and to align with them and then look at things from the, the, the context of not me talking to you over there, but how do we approach this together, our time together, we, so this, this instant bond and rapport that you can create with people. So some of it is the, the Ericksonian work, hypnosis, you know, about matching and mirroring and things like that. You know, that, that part of the NLP I really liked. Um, but, you know, a lot of it, like I was saying before, it's like these, these weird, awkward language patterns and they try to do these embedded commands and open loops where they're, you know, 50% telling a story here and there and, oh, we'll get to that, but, but wait, there's more and, and this, this false excitement. So uh, it can be used for a really great tool the way that Tony does it and the way that really good therapists use it. From a therapeutic standpoint, it's amazing. But, you know, there's also a sales aspect to it where people are using it to influence, um, which I think now, you know, like I said to you before, people's bullshit meters are so sensitive now that I think it really turns people off because what people align with more than anything is authenticity and caring. Um, and that, that's something that you really can't fake. And you, yeah. can't learn yeah. that. you can't learn that in a weekend seminar. It's, you know, you either do or you don't. Um, and there's certainly experiences that we can have. Going back to experiences, there's experiences that we can have that can just completely rip open our hearts and, and make us more compassionate and understanding. Could be the loss of someone, could be seeing some tragedy, maybe, you know, volunteering, you know, Peace Corps or, you know, going to Africa for a few months. Something like that can really open somebody up where they have an experience where now they're more available, more authentic. But, you know, sitting in a, a room learning NLP for a couple of days is not really going to make somebody more genuine and authentic. It has to, it has to be there. Um, you know, and the experiences that we have, somebody can have a really negative experience and have it really open them up and make it more, the more compassionate. Somebody can have another really negative experience and it can make them more, a more cold and more closed off in the world. So that's, that's a choice though, that we have to go through every day. And I think that's, that's a personal thing. But once somebody really gets there to that place of being open and authentic, of course, yes, then they can use some NLP to, to enhance that. But uh, it can only enhance more of what somebody is. If somebody's sleazy and salesy, it's just going to enhance that. Um, and they will be more manipulative as opposed to more influential. So uh, NLP is a great tool, but um, it can be a dangerous tool in the wrong hands. Yeah, no, that's a great answer. And you're right, you know, you can read people's energy. Like, even if you don't think you can, people can kind of, unconsciously, we pick up on it, don't we? We see it and we're like, mm, someone doesn't gel here. It doesn't sound like they're congruent with their words and their actions, you know? So, yeah, yeah it's, it, authenticity is super important. So, throughout your coaching career, what do you find most people struggle with? You know, it sounds, it sounds so basic and... You know, if you said this to me years ago, I, I almost wouldn't have believed it when I was broke and struggling. Because you think that, you know, if I have this new piece of information, if I have this new technique, I'll be able to fix my body or, or this or that. But really it's, you know, it's, it's really the consistent theme comes down to mindset and emotions. Um, emotional mastery. There's, there's that book EQ. You know, emotional mastery is, is more powerful than, 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 you know, intelligence. You know, emotional intelligence. So what's your EQ? But really just having a sense of, you know, sensory acuity to really understand what's going on in your environment. And, you know, a lot of my, my clients that I work with, a lot of them go to my website. Just It's, you know, eliwilhide.com. They go there and there's, you know, when Tony, you know, when I came back to Tony's company, 
he announced this this contest, and so there was a year long sales contest for everybody there. And I was, for me, it wasn't just about marketing and selling his events. It was like I want to expose the world to this man and these these techniques and these these strategies because I really believe they could help somebody's life. But you know, I, I became his top person and I, I dominated everybody else. I broke every sales record. But it wasn't about me. It was about service. And when people listen to that, they go to my my website and they hear this this you know Tony created. He didn't just give me an award, he created an award in my name, this chairman's award thing, because I broke every sales record in the company and I worked 60% less than everybody else. And so, you know, I'm, I'm writing a book about this right now and it's called THIN, which, you know, it's, it's T-H-N, which stands for Transforming Human Nature. And, you know, we live in a consumer society. So this is a long answer, but I, I'll, it'll make a really strong point. No, go ahead, man, go ahead. <laughs> live in a consumer society where people want to consume more information. They want to consume food. They want, we consume things all day long. And even people have you know, vision boards of things they want to consume. They want to buy this car. They want to buy this expensive watch. They want to you know, buy this. They want to have this. They want to, they want to consume all these things. But what most people don't realize is what they want to consume is consuming them. It's consuming their time, consuming their energy. They think they're going to visualize and create. But here's the, here's the fact. Most people who are ultra successful, I mean, massively successful, like even like a Warren Buffett or a Bill Gates or a Tony Robbins, anybody that's worth nine figures plus, hundreds of millions of dollars, they're not sitting around thinking about things they want to buy and consume. They're thinking about things they want to produce in the world. They want to produce companies. They want to produce foundations. Don't just, they, don't just, they don't read books. They write books. They don't just you know, take in programs and take in information. They create information. So it's about going from a consumer to a producer. And I think that when people, you know, what, I, what I'm really getting to is there's a mindset shift. People who are leaders versus followers, people who are doing things in the world versus the people who are at the effect of things. So when people can really get into this mindset, for me, when I was sick and I was laying around, you know, I was working 60% less than everybody else. I was spending half the week in bed or half the week in the hospital. And then I had to be really effective with my time. I had to be, I had to have an outcome. I had to be emotionally tied to it. And I also had to thin out, you know, back to the acronym, I had to transform my own nature to consume things and want more and more and more. I had to do less. If, if there, I could sum it up in one quote, it's that, you know, that Bruce Lee quote, hack away at the unessential, you know, keep what is necessary and add what is uniquely your own. And I think that people are just in this habit of consuming and they want, to, they want more and more and more and more. And whether it's a car or a house or the new clothes or the relationship, where there's a void within themselves. So going back to emotional mastery and certainty, the belief that everything you need is within you and you have this unlimited resource of emotion, of intensity, of compassion, of just something inside of you that you want to produce into the world to give, to create with, like from there you can build something. But people have not really mastered their emotions and their mindset because in order to somebody to really to have an extraordinary body, business, finances, relationship, anything, you know, first step is you got to be clear. You got to know exactly what it is you want. And most people aren't clear. They think they want this, that. They're always kind of, they're moving the target constantly. So they're never really clear about what they want. Or they have a vision of what they want and it's not compelling where they don't feel emotionally connected to it. Then the second piece is you have to have a strategy. And, you know, all the greats say, don't just try to reinvent the wheel. Find somebody out there that has the same results that you do and you model some of their same strategies. But the third piece, most people can get clear on their own. People can find a strategy, you know, whether it's diet, income, building a business. There, there's a thousand books written on all those subjects every single year, and all of them do work to a certain extent. 
But what's ultimately going to work for you or for me or anybody, it's taking some of that and making it uniquely our own. So we've got to own it. And the third piece that really stops people, and this is where I get back to mindset, people can find a strategy on their own and they can get compelling visions on their own. But the mindset piece, the psychology, you said a word a few minutes ago called congruency. That word is really what it's about. And congruency to me, I think it's the center of all of it because I used to, I used to fasc- be fascinated with people like you know, a Tony or a president or even like a rock and roll singer where they just had this confidence. And I used to think that maybe there's like this cookie cutter way to be confident, to be emotionally secure, to be successful. But I saw these people, like you can look at somebody who's like um, a Joel Olstein. He has a certain belief. He's very religious and he's so powerful because he's the real deal. From what I understand, he's congruent. What he believes about life, about, you know, religion, about people, about communication, like he lives it. Most people say they want to make a million dollars, but they want to work two hours a week. You know, so there's there's some incongruency there. People want to, you know, I don't know, have a six pack, but they want to eat crabby food. That's just not an alignment. It's just, it's ridiculous. So congruency, it means alignment within yourself. It means that what you say, so your words your thoughts, your actions, your emotions are all in alignment with what you believe and your identity, who you believe you are. If you believe that you're a person who was meant to do this, this, and this, but you're doing something completely different in your career or in your relationship or in your health or in the way you eat or the way you move, or the, way you, you, the way you talk to people, that's incongruent and you're going to lose your power. And so when people can really be grounded in who they are, their sense of belief, you know, the opposite of a, a Joel Osteen would say, Let's say, you know, I live here in Beverly Hills and I, I see some of these people at the grocery store like, you know, a rock and roll star. Say there's some famous rock and roll star who is doing drugs every night and he's sleeping around every night. And some people might think, oh, that's terrible. But to him, he is in alignment with what he believes. He's congruent. He believes he should do that. He believes that that's rock and roll and he should party and drink and do these things. So there's a confidence. There is an authentic confidence that comes out of that man because he's in alignment with what he believes. So I don't, when I talk to my clients or I talk to someone, I used to look at things as, you know, right or wrong. Well, that's right, that's wrong. But those were my belief systems. And I was wrong to impose their, my beliefs on them. So now when I, I communicate with anybody, I really allow them to flourish and I create space for them because I don't believe so much in right or wrong anymore. I believe in what works and what doesn't work. And what works for me might not work for somebody else. So I have to find what works for them and make sure they're living in alignment. Thoughts, words, actions, beliefs, identity, rooted. And it's literally, I don't know if you've studied like the chakra systems or anything like that. Um, you know, there's like the root chakra, the third eye, like these, these seven uh, yeah. chakras. Yeah, yeah. But literally, you know, these energy sources within our body, once you see somebody is kind of blocked in their throat or they're blocked in their heart, you know, you can see it. You know, you can kind of feel it. But when somebody's really open in all those places, it's like they're in an, an antenna. And the most powerful people in the world that I've ever lived, like a, a Martin Luther King or you know, even a Tony, um, you know, Gandhi, uh, Mother Teresa, they all, at, towards the end of their life or some point in their life, they always say something to the effect that's something similar to this. They say, I thank God, the universe. You know, I thank the God, whoever, for the message that has used me. So it's not their message. They have literally become congruent. In al- so it means alignment. Like you're like an antenna. And when you're really in alignment, God's voice, God's energy, there's a communication that comes through you 
But if you're blocked and you're not standing up for what you believe and you are incongruent, the, the energy is not going to come through you. It's going to be blocked. And with that, you're going to experience pain or frustration or lack or something. But those things are all just signposts. Those, those, those frustrations and those, th- that depression, that, that's a good thing. You know, if you, were, if you believe that you shouldn't smoke crack and, and you shouldn't drink every night and you're doing those things, then, then you should be depressed. If you think that you should uh, be nice to people and you're mean to people, well, then, you know, and you get frustrated or sad or you don't get good results, well, you're not living in alignment. So that's a good thing. You know, if, we, if I, uh, you know, I cheated on somebody or if I lied or, or if I, I did something really bad and I didn't feel depressed about it, well, that would be a bad thing. I, I should feel bad because that's like my nervous system telling me, hey, don't do that again. But people will do something that's not serving them, not serving others, not serving the greater good. They'll do it over and over and over again and because they're not really living in alignment with themselves and what they believe. They're not doing what works for them. And so, of course, they're being sent these messages to their nervous system called emotions that are telling them, hey, don't do that anymore. But they're still doing it because a lot of times it's just bad habits, you know, or they're just caught in a pattern. And so, you know, a lot of the NLP work, a lot of coaching, what it is, it's just breaking patterns, reinforcing new habits, routines, mentally and emotionally, physically, to really get somebody to stand in their power so they can live more powerfully. Yeah, that's great, Eli. Thanks for sharing that with us. You know, a, a couple of days ago, I was listening to uh, John Asaraf, and he was saying that essentially to be successful, like you can say there's like a hundred different things that people say you, you need to do, right? Or even a thousand. But he said it really, the core, it comes down to your belief and your habits. So you can get yeah. your belief system right, and then you get your habits in place, like positive, successful habits, everything else will start to fall into place. 100%. And what you were saying, then that basically, that really just, uh, you know, confirms that that's, that's what it is. It really is. That people try and overcomplicate everything, don't you find? They, they make it way too complex, and, and then they uh, run around in circles and get nowhere. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you look at somebody who's in great shape, and they, if they have, you know, a great body. You know, they're strong. They have a habit of going to the gym. They have a habit of conditioning themselves physically that has built, you know, has created strength. But, you know, what it really comes down to for most of us, not just, not just going to the physical gym, but it's about putting ourselves in the mental emotional gym, conditioning the emotions and the psychology that is going to make us not just strong physically, but strong emotionally, where we become strong people. And when you are going out into the world, you're a salesperson, you're wanting to get into a relationship, you, you just you go out into the world and you want to do something with your life, you have to realize that everybody is uncertain. Everybody has fear. Everybody has insecurity, doubt. And people are uncertain about the economy. People are uncertain about the past, about relationships. People have all this uncertainty. And so when you come, when you enter a room with your energy, that strength and that confidence is conditioned like a muscle getting stronger and stronger. You've conditioned yourself mentally and emotionally where you're so strong and your certainty within yourself and your ability is so conditioned, so powerful, your certainty overcomes their doubt. That's when you become a leader. That's when people want to listen to you. That's when you become a professional. That's when you're in control of your life and people will pay you for that advice, no matter what business you're in. Mm. So that's understanding it on a level like cognitively and also based off your experience through taking action. That's when you build your level of certainty. Is that what you're saying? It's, uh, you know, part of that is taking action. It's conditioning the emotion. So it's not just action because somebody could take an action with a negative emotion and they could go 
you know, they could be trying to sell somebody with this mindset and the psychology that says, well, you know, you wouldn't really want to buy this. Or they could ask a girl on a date that says, well, you wouldn't, you wouldn't really want to go out with me, would you? But, um, you know, what, maybe kind of, sort of, would you please? You know, that's, that's not <laughs> So some people might be taking actions, but they're doing it in, in the wrong state. So the emotion and the certainty and the belief and the, 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 the inner confidence and the groundedness in who you are and the, the fact that who you are is valuable to the world and putting that out there authentically um, and communicating your worth and taking action from that place where it's not about you but it's about we and it's about us and connecting and providing service for somebody in some form. Just coming from that place of just massive value but it's, it's conditioning your mind and emotion first and then the actions come naturally. When I said in the beginning of the call, it's, you know, the results are created from our actions which come from our decisions, our thoughts, our beliefs. So before we even get to the actions, we have to make a decision about who we want to be. We have to think about you know, the, the best version of ourselves, and we have to believe that. And so we need to have an experience that is going to create these references within ourselves. And, and the experience could be a completely imaginary thing. You know, your experience could be just imagining you're amazing. Mm -hmm. It could be just speaking you know, to 100 people a day trying to sell them something and you get that one yes, it's focusing your mind on that one yes, not the 99 no's. So you've got this one experience and that you're focused on, which changes your thoughts, decisions, actions, results, the way you show up in your life. But we could all focus on the 99, where we get the no's, but successful people don't do that. Yeah, that's right. Focus on the solutions as opposed to the problems. Yeah. Yeah, you yeah. got it. Yeah, awesome, man. Thank you. What would you say to an aspiring coach if they're just starting out and they just don't really know how to find their angle or uh, how to really set up their business in the right way, their coaching business, what would you say? What would your advice be? Yeah, I've thought a lot about this and, and people often come to me for coaching. I, it, I never wanted to really be a coach. It wasn't until about a year ago. I went to an event. I won't say the event, but it was all coaches there. And there was a guy teaching who was, you know, a coach making high seven figures. And and I, I felt like every single person in the room needed a coach. They they didn't they, they shouldn't be a coach. They all needed a coach. And and by the time I left there, I left early, but a lot of people contacted me and asked me to be their coach. And at first I was like, no. But I was like, you know, why not? And I, I think that in order to be a great coach, you can't I can't give you a dollar unless I have a dollar. I can't give you confidence unless I have confidence. So what you need to do is have hundred percent certainty within yourself that you can produce results and first you need to produce those results within yourself and if people see you know I, I did this hundred day I, I I think I don't know if I told you this but I I tore a disc in my lower back um, I guess about a year and a half ago and uh, I was bedridden for months and it was just like I had you know this like I was just like it's like this freaking sucks I went to Thailand and I, I got massages like five hours a day. I got acupuncture, Reiki, and I just I, I did fasted for 15 days, just water fasting. I was like, I'm gonna figure this out. And and I'm always going back to mindset. There's, you know, you want to change anything, there's strategies, there's activities, there's things you can do, but it's a psychology. And I thought to myself, well, maybe there's something off of my psychology. And I and I started to ask myself, well, maybe well, maybe that's true. So I said, you know what? I'm gonna take hundred days. I'm going to do everything I can and I'm going to bombard my subconscious with psychological principles. Yes, I'm going to do the massages and I'm going to do acupuncture and I'm going to do this, this and this, but I'm also going to work out. I'm going to push myself. I'm going to condition my psychology as well. And so I did a before and after picture 
and I produced a result in my own body. And then people started asking me to produce those same results in their body. And now, you know, hundreds of people have asked me to produce these results. So basically, within 100 days, I healed my back. I gained 28 pounds of muscle. There's a, on my website, there's a, there's a photo of my before and after on the, the fitness page. But, you know, so those are results that are tangible. And so if you want to be a business coach, you have to be able to have 100% confidence in your ability to produce results. A health coach is health, health results. Speaking coach, be able to speak. You know, and so part of coaching, there's a lot of people out there that are accountability coaches. And that's, and that's cool. Basically, you're just making sure that other people are, are doing the things they say they're going to do. That's cool. But, you know, I can hire a bum on the street for $10 and say, hey, can you just call me once a week and make sure that I'm doing these things? And for 10, he would do it. But imagine that I, instead of paying this bum $10, imagine if it was Tony Robbins or somebody who spent like Bill Clinton, you know, or the Dalai Lama calling once a week and he says, hey, did you get this done? Now I'm just like, I'm like, shoot, you know, if the, if the bum on the street is asking me to do it, maybe I do it my, because I don't really care what he thinks. But if the Dalai Lama or Tony, for me personally, Tony Robbins was personally reaching out to me and saying, you know, he wasn't asking me if I get him, was getting things done, but there was an expectation there. And so his expectation, because I respected him so much, it, it got me into action. So when I coach my clients, they know that I care. And literally it's like, like I keep them coming back to this we, our, together. It's like, hey, me and you are in this together. And I'm doing everything in my power to make sure you get these results. And I'll say, did you do these things? And if they didn't, well, we're going to deep dive that. What's going on with you emotionally? We're going to handle this. Not just like this accountability check-in. So it's like we're, we're getting this done. When people hire Tony Robbins for, as a coach, you know, they pay him a million dollars. I met with a friend last night who has just paid Tony Robbins the, the million bucks. He's part owner of a network marketing company that does does quite well, um, you know. And it's just these guys are committed to results. So I think to be a really successful coach, one you have to care, but two, you know, for lack of a, a better term, you kind of have to be a bit of a badass in your own life, and you have to be consistently producing results uh, that serve people. And if you have a track record for that, people will want to come to you. It's not about posting little motivational messages on Facebook. I do do that, but not all the time. But uh, a lot of the things that I, I, I put up there are based on results that I've produced for myself or others because people don't care about me. People don't care that I work for Tony Robbins. People don't care that I went to school. I just studied, studied nutrition. Can you see? They don't care about that. All they're thinking is, hey, can you help me produce results? You know, It's like if I went to the doctor and, he, and he's like, and I go to the doctor and my arm really hurts, and the doctor starts telling me, well, I went to this school, and I went to this school, and I did this and this and this. I'm like, I'm like, that's ridiculous. It's almost like he's insecure. Like, why do you even need to tell me that you went to this school and here and there? It's like you're trying to prove something to me? I'm like, hey, dude, my freaking arm just hurts. Can you, can you fix it? All I care about is you fixing my freaking arm. I don't care how smart you are. And so most coaches talk about themselves, and they went here, and they did this, and they studied, and all this stuff. They got some certification. They took some life coaching course. It's like, you know, people don't care about that. They say you think they do, but they don't. That's the difference between demonstrating, and when you demonstrate how great you are, you know, people, they always say, well, you know, I need to think about it. Well, it's like, I need to evaluate you. And so that you're putting yourself in a box where they get to evaluate you, where a master coach says, hey, these are the results that I can produce for you. Do you want these results? So it's not about how good I am. It's, just, it's them looking at their results. 
So I don't want them even really, you know, the, the coaching conversation isn't about you. And I think a coach, even for myself starting out, I made everything about me, where now it's all about that person that I'm talking to. And if, if I feel like I can't produce a result for that person, I tell them, I mean, because that's what I'm standing for. I tell them, I don't think I can help you. And some people I can't help. I, I tell them they should go to, you know, Tony Robbins UPW. They should read a book and apply it for a few months and get themselves out of this place because they're kind of like at this kindergarten stage where they, I really like working with people who are, you know, busy entrepreneurs, people who are up to doing big things in the world and they're looking for that edge. And I, I want to push them and get in there and really kind of pull apart and figure out where they want to be and really find out what's stopping them. Because a lot of times it's not so obvious when you get to those higher levels. And that's, and that's the need for coaching. So you know, what I would say to any aspiring coach, it's um, focus on results for your clients, not about who you are or your certifications, but really be able to diagnose somebody's problem instead of demonstrate how great you are. Yep. Focus on the results and, uh, and your clients. Yeah. I love it, man. Great advice. What are your daily routines, your daily rituals? You know, I don't know if you've heard this. Uh, have you been to many Tony, Tony Robbins events? Yeah, I have, yeah. Is, uh, he's got this thing that he's been doing for the past, I guess about a year now. He sent it to me. I got a really good recording of it that he sent to me. Um, it's, it, and it's, he's got, there's, there's people doing it on YouTube too, this thing called priming. Um, so I get up in the morning and I prime. It's these um, 30s through the nose, 30 really powerful breaths where I've got this pumping motion in my arms. And I do three sets of that, so three sets of 30. And then I think about three things in life that I'm grateful for and things that are really simple, like, you know, the wind on my face, you know, the smell of flowers and, you know, where I live and the people I get to serve. And, you know, I think about some big things. I think about some opportunities that I have. I, you know, I, I just got a new coaching client who's like one of the most successful people I've ever talked to. I just feel so grateful I even get to talk to this person. And I'm just like... Like, this is amazing. So I think about a few things that in my life that I'm grateful for, things that I'm, excite me. And then, and then I think about a few things, usually three things or more, that need healing. Um, and I send healing energy, whether it's something in my body because I worked out too hard or something in a loved one where I want to heal, heal something in them. I want to heal something in the environment. Um, I send a lot of healing energy to the earth, like just Mother Nature, just because it's you know, pollution and things like that have really kind of gotten out of hand. I try to just really have gratitude and, and just compassion and just really try to send healing energy into the earth is, is uh, granola and as hippie as that sounds. But, uh, you know, I really just try to take some time to appreciate and want to do my part and send healing energy to relationships that I have that need some healing or people that, you know, need a lot of help. So I send some healing energy there. And then I think about three things I visualize three things that I want to create. So some goals. Um, you know, one thing, for example, is like my book. I, I imagine people reading my book and coming up to me in the street and saying, oh my God, this book completely changed my life. Um, so I think about things that I want to visualize. And um, so that's how I started. And then, then this morning I got up and I did sprints up and down the street. And then I come back in and I have a, a big green shake. Excellent. That's great, man. That's that's a, quite a quite a routine in the morning. Hey, I love it. Yeah. It's so it's, so, yeah. it's called priming, right? So you could probably look that up on YouTube. Tony yeah, this probably explains it as well. Yeah, there's some, there's some videos on there for sure. Um, yeah, there's a, a couple guys doing them. So yeah, it's 
priming. Um, but yeah, just it's something, you know, first, whether it's this or something else, it's something to get you, you know, just moving in your body. You're moving and breathing. You know, you're getting out of your head and into your body where you really feel connected. You're getting grateful because it's such a powerful emotion. And you're visualizing some things that you want to create in your life. And you might want to do some affirmation, incantation, some words where you start to speak with certainty. You know, it's amazing for, for myself too. I, I took a long break from doing uh, any kind of incantation affirmation. I was like, I don't need to. And, and I am a professional speaker. I've done about 2,500 of my own seminars representing Tony Robbins. So I, you know, seven years speaking for Tony Robbins, shared a stage with Tony Robbins. I introduced him at some of the events. Um, but still, like when I was young, I had a big gap in my teeth. And so I used to always mumble. And I've since fixed it. Obviously, I've worked a lot on my enunciation of words. But when I get up, I come back in, I'm working, I'm writing, I'm doing some things. If I don't speak to another human being to like, three, say, three, four o'clock, I have a coaching call or I go to the store and I buy something, I still like, I feel like kind of like priming the pump. I have to get my mouth used to speaking words with confidence. Otherwise, I kind of mumble. So. <laughs> It's like, I'm, it's like I talked about conditioning your muscles. Like I need to condition my mouth every single day so I communicate effectively. I just, or I stumble or slur my speech a little bit. I just, I sound like, you know, I'm all over the place or I'm saying words like, um, you know, like, um, um, like, like, you know, you know, and I'm so unconscious of my speech. So I want to practice conditioning my mouth first thing in the, first thing in the morning, conditioning what I call dynamic words of wisdom with power, love, and certainty every single day. So I want to literally get my mouth in, in the habit energetically of communicating and pouring powerful energy out to the world that can fill other people up. So it just, you know, it's a whole mental emotional process for me when I, when I do my affirmation incantations. Yes. I love it. I love it. You know, actually I was speaking to uh, Joe Dispenza, who's an author and neuroscientist and I was asking him actually, you know, are affirmations effective and he broke it down to me on the level of, you know, what goes on in our, in our mind and all that. And he basically said that affirmations are good, but he said that you need to have uh, gratitudes to go along with it. And the reason being is if you're in a like state of fear or a state of uh, nervousness or depression, if you're saying, I'm amazing, I'm awesome, I'm wonderful, that's not going to resonate at all with your autonomic nervous system. It doesn't make any sense. Whereas if you're in a state of gratitude, you're more congruent and it actually makes sense to you. So you, your body and your mind are following what you're saying. Yeah, it's, uh, it's so key. I also, I, I do something most mornings or, you know, not if I don't do it in the morning, I do it at night. Um, I don't know if you read a book. I read it. I, I've been doing this for years before, but a little bit differently. But I read a book that made me implement it back into my practice. It's called The Way of the Seal by Mark Devine. Um, really amazing book. And then there's another book called The Art of Mental Training. And it's some, it, it's like a Hispanic name. I, I forget what it is. Like something, Gonz- DC Gonzalez, I think the guy's name is. But, um, you know, the way of the SEAL is obviously this guy was a Navy SEAL for 20 years. And when you're, they put themselves in some pretty intense environments. And so there's this thing called box breathing that he does where you basically breathe in for five, hold for five, breathe out for five, and then you have no air for, you know, a few seconds, and then you repeat. And I do many repetitions of that. Repetitions of that, or I'll do uh, you know, five to twenty minutes of that. And I find it really centers me, gets me back into my body. It stimulates the parasympathetic nervous system, which is the opposite of the sympathetic, which is 
cortisol, uh, adrenaline, stress hormones. So it promotes testosterone, repair hormones, growth hormone. It kind of just centers your body. And, and even in this book, The Art of Mental Training, that this guy is talking about what people on the SWAT team or, or snipers do to kind of calm their breath and focus their mind to, to see the targets. So I, I do a lot of that every day, especially before I have a, a speech or something that I, I have to do where I can feel my, my nervousness. I can feel my, my heart beating, my palms are sweating. And I, I say, I need to get back in my body and, and chill out a bit. So uh, those, these things are all part of my routines because the training never stops. Professionals go through their routines every single day, whether it's a Kobe Bryant, a Tony Robbins, uh, a president. They, they all have these routines, and that's, that's why they're so effective. Yeah, and does that nervousness ever go away, man? Do you still feel that every time you get up on stage? I do. I do. Um, some people say they don't. And for me, it's I do. I do. I, I'm always going to. I mean, I've done, I've done 2,500 you know, seminars uh, right around there. And every single time, I'm nervous. I, I'm thinking all this stuff. So I, I think in some ways, it's like a godsend that I do because it, it forces me to prepare more than most people would. If I just said, ah, it's going to be good. Like, I'm, I'm fine. I don't need to prepare. Then I would never prepare. So I'm, I'm so, I, I used to be so scared that I would mess up and just horrified and insecure that that insecurity led me to prepare. Um, Jerry can tell you this. When we lived together. You know, I'd be in my, my room. I made like, in one year, I made four books into audiobooks of my own voice. Uh, greatest, you know, salesman in the world. Uh, the great, you know, the greatest secret. Um, now, thinking, thinking, grow rich. As a man thinketh, uh, I would make all these books into audiobooks in my own voice, and I would say words over and over again because I thought if I'm going to continually use my mouth, condition my mouth to say certain words, I would, I would memorize the, the I have a dream speech. I was like, I want to condition this mouth to say the most amazing words that have ever been spoken. Not just, hey, what's up? What are you doing? Let's go grab a pizza. Like these, these words don't come out of my mouth. I want to continually say these words and I would condition myself and I would record myself doing them in my iPhone every night um, or on one of those little uh, voice recorders. And then when I work out in the morning for an hour, I would listen to myself speaking a chapter on autosuggestion from Thinking Grow Rich or something like that. So I really just bombarded my subconscious with this stuff. So I, I think that it was just something in me that just made me want to prepare more than most most people and uh and i love it yeah so do you I, find that effective do you believe that it's been pretty effective for you in, in your life yes yes i mean nothing it's nothing's the 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 one thing to mm. to fix everything but i, I was either going to do that or sit on the couch and watch tv and eat pizza so i mean <laughs> given the alternative i mean there's a lot of other things i could have been doing with that time so Pretty much, I mean, every day we wake up and it's like we really have to believe. I mean, if you're successful, really successful, and you, and you think about all your success, you're not going to be hungry the next, you know, the next day. So if you think about all your success and you wake up in the morning, you're just like, oh, I'm already successful. Or if you were really unsuccessful, meaning you're in a really bad spot right now, if you think about where you're at, then you feel frustrated and it's overwhelming to dig yourself out of this hole. So in my mind... We started zero every single day. Like every single day I started zero and I got to do something today to, to make today a positive. And so everything that we do, every bite of food that we eat, either is good for our health or is bad for our health. 
is not just kind of like average. There's no, there's no in between. Everything's moving us one way or another. Every relationship that you have, you know, is moving you forward in your life or it's moving you backward. Um, every dollar you spend is either on an asset or it's on a liability. You know, you could, every, everything, there's a, there's a cost. Things are either a cost or they're an investment. And I think that reading those kind of books is, is an investment. Um, and I wanted to get the most out of them that I could because I thought they were really powerful. So um, they, they put a few, uh, a few pluses to my day, that's for sure, as opposed to um, the minuses that I could have had if I had been doing, um, I don't know, and, you know, out drinking beer and I don't know, playing ping pong. I don't know. <laughs> no, I love it, man. I love it. I love it. So what, uh, what book would you say has really impacted your life? Uh, number one book I tell everybody to read. If, if, they, if they can only read one book, it's uh, Think and Grow Rich, which is it's the book. But I think most people haven't really sat with that book long enough. Um, also, his, his book, Outwitting the Devil. But Think and Grow Rich, I mean, it's all there. The auto-suggestion, the discipline, the decision, the, the ghost of it's It's all there. It's, it's an amazing book. And I think for me, I, I had really... I really kind of taken in a lot of a lot of stuff in that book, but the piece that was missing for me, um, that Tony Robbins completed for me, was the emotional piece, because I knew all these techniques and I knew things that I was I was doing, but I, I wasn't focusing my mind. And your emotions come down to what you consistently focus on. If you focus on something bad or negative in your life, it affects the way you feel. If you focus on something that's great in your life, it it affects the way you feel in a positive way. So Tony really broke things down with his book. Unlimited Power, where those would be the two books. Um, that book, it really, I, I, I read Thinking Grow Rich, and I knew what I should do to make my life work, but I still wasn't doing it 100%. And when I read Unlimited Power, I knew emotionally what was going on and how to use my brain like a computer system where I could program myself to do the things that I want to do and condition myself into be a state of mind and emotion to take action on the things that I already knew. And to really own it in a way to allow my authentic self come up. And, um, you know, I think, as I was saying to you before, as, as if you want to be a, a master musician and you're five, six, seven, eight, you know, 18 years old, whatever, you would learn some music from this artist and you would learn some music from this artist and you would lay, you know, on the guitar, the piano, you would learn these instruments and you would play other people's music. And so I really wanted to master Tony's music. I really wanted to master Napoleon Hill's music. And then eventually you start to synthesize that and then you start to be able to play some of your own music. And I think that we could start from scratch and reinvent the wheel and that'd be one way, but we can synthesize the music from the greats like a Tony Robbins or Napoleon Hill. And I think the music of Napoleon Hill's book, Thinking of Our Rich, is some of the most pure, refined music that is just proven to work out there. And so if you refine that and you own it, then you can start to create some of your own music. Um, by standing on the shoulders of giants like that, with, with Tony, literally a giant, um, <laughs> you can take what they've learned and add to it. And, and, it, and it's interesting. I, I tell a lot of my clients this, that I really, Tony has told me this many times, and what led Tony Robbins to be Tony Robbins was he took massive action, he consumed lots of content, and he mastered different things. But at the end of the day, what separated him from everybody else, people read these books and they go to these seminars or they listen to these audio programs and they think, wow, that's cool. This is a really great idea. And hopefully some people listening to this interview are they're thinking it's like, oh, that's pretty cool. 
But here's what Tony did differently. And I hope this is, if you're listening, this is what I hope that you do. Tony always asked this question. He always thought, he th thought to himself and he'd write down, how can I use this? So meaning, what can I take from this specifically to use into my life to make it better? So that's, that, that makes, it's like a different lens from what you look at. You're not looking at that book or listening to an interview with like, hey, this is pretty cool. You're thinking, how, what can I take from this to use to my life, my business, to make it better? And that's a different thing. So specifically making sure, focusing on, you get at least one thing that you can take to make your life better. So that focuses your mind in a different way. And in my opinion, the reason that Tony become, became Tony Robbins, because he synthesized the music from Landmark, from um, Est, and from all the seminars, Jim Rohn, from NLP, from whatever. But then he asked this one empowering, amazing question that changed everything. And it's also the question that has led to all my success. The question is this. He would ask, how can I make this even better? So even better presupposes that, hey, it's already really, really great. But now, saying, how do I make this better? You create the possibility in your mind that it could be better. And a few years ago, I started to look at Tony's stuff. And not by any means do I think I'm any, if I produce something 1% as good as Tony, that would be like a miracle because I think he's the man. He's, he owns it. But I look at Tony's stuff now and I think to myself, how, how could I use this? But then how can I make this better? And I, I always come up with a list of at least 100 things that I could do to make Tony's content better than it is. And not to say that I think Tony's content's bad. I think it's the best out there. But now I have possibilities in my mind. I think of, I've thought of hundreds of things where, not that he's doing wrong, but how I can utilize some of his stuff, but I can communicate in a different way or I can reach somebody else. And if you've been to UPW, you have been to Unleash the Power Within, correct? I have, yeah, it's amazing. It is amazing. And, and here's another amazing thing that he does on those days. So if you haven't been, you should go, you're listening. But on the second day, Tony says this, he says, if, you're, if you don't think this was life-changing, you can get your money back, 100% money back guarantee on the spot. Pretty awesome. So there's a customer service booth, and say there's five, 6,000 people in the room, a couple hundred, 150, 160, 180, they'll wanna leave. And so there's this customer service booth where people can turn in their badge and their book and they leave, no questions asked. Well, no, kind of a question asked. A lot of times it's their emotional stuff and so there's somebody at the table that tries to turn them around and ask them a question. That person's been me for about 36 seminars. So literally thousands of people have had to talk to me and I'm the person that says, well, what's going on? What didn't you like? What, why didn't this serve you? And a lot of times it's their own emotional stuff. So I've literally heard from thousands of people what they didn't like. So I, I literally have journals of these, these stories that people have told me or what didn't resonate or what was too much or too this. or you know, it, It's just their own story. Mm -hmm. But I've thought about specifically, how could I make this better? And so I, I know for a fact that I could, not that I'd ever want to compete with Tony because he's, you know, he's my, my biggest mentor and I respect him more than anybody else in the world. But so my, my message is to anybody listening to this, think of the people that you respect the most. I mean, people would look at Michael Jordan or LeBron James. If you want to be play basketball like you did, you really have to ask yourself, how could I be better than them? You know, how could I produce if every book that you read, like in Napoleon Hill's Thinking or Rich, or your favorite book, say it's a fiction book, like a Catcher in the Rye, if you want to be a writer, you need to start thinking, how could I be better than this? At least open your mind and your heart up to the possibility that somebody, I mean, every four years, somebody breaks an Olympic record, or every two years, somebody breaks an Olympic record in, in the Olympics, a world record, something that nobody's ever done, somebody makes it better, 
every single day. Somebody's doing something to make something different in business and technology. The, all evolution, all change is created by somebody looking at what's already been done and saying, how do we make this better? How do we simplify it? How do we create it? How do we do something better? And so that's, that's my message to anybody listening to this. If you listen to this thing, how, how do you make, you know, if you don't like my interview, how could you make it better? If you like it, how do you make it better? If you like, you know, your bicycle, if you like a camera, how do you make it more functional? Your iPhone. Somebody, you know, 10 years from now, the iPhone is going to look totally different. Every single version of the iPhone has sold more, uh, you know, phones, has sold more, had higher gross sales than the previous version because they're constantly seeking to make it better. And Apple is a computer, is a company that consistently innovates. And so as we're able to innovate what we're passionate about, if we innovate the books, the seminars, the communication, the coaching process, if we constantly make it better, we become leaders and people come to you. But you have to ask those questions. How can, what can you take from what's already, already been done? How do you utilize it? And then how do you make it better? And you can create and dominate any business if you really own and master those questions. Yeah, I love that, Eli. Innovate, right? Innovate and build yourself up personally, like self-develop so you can get to level where you can deliver the goods. Absolutely. Yeah, I love it. Awesome. All right, Eli, we are, we're approaching the end of this interview. I just wanted to get, uh, have you got a date on your book when it's dropping? Probably uh, probably this summer. Um, going back through some revisions now. Got um, a couple people helping me. Um, I got some good concepts in there, but my writing's not honestly not that good. So I have two people helping me that are that are much much smarter than me. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, so yeah, I'm doing a lot of editing now. Hopefully by this summer, um, it should be out. But in the meantime, uh, I'm always posting cool stuff on my my blog and my website. Okay, excellent, excellent. So Eli, I have uh, this question that I ask at the end of every interview, and awesome. the question is: If you were to deliver your last thirty second speech to the world. What would that last thirty seconds sound like? That's a it's a good question. You know what? I think it sounds so so cheesy, but I think this this message of gratitude and appreciation and and as I said to you earlier before we you know we started this interview, uh, there's a quote that I have on my wall that I think of every single day, and. It's by Emmett Fox, and it says, if you could only love enough, you could be the most powerful person in the world. And power doesn't mean to be powerful over other people, but power in the sense of, you know, your ability to do something, to change, your, you know, I have the power to push over my bicycle in my living room, I have the, the ability to do something, to be really powerful, to own your power in the world. And love is this really powerful emotion. So if we could only love enough, we could be so powerful and we could really be lasting. And so if this is my last, my last 30 seconds, I would want to just communicate people to be more loving, but I'd want to do it in a way where I was so loving in that moment where somebody would have an experience of me, not what I said, but how I said it, where you want to leave people touch, moved, and inspired to be more loving themselves. And so I could perpetuate compassion in a legendary way after my lifetime and, and create something in the hearts and minds of other human beings that would last beyond myself. Wow. Powerful stuff, Eli. Thank you so much, man. I really appreciate you sharing all your advice, your information, your story as well. You've got a pretty epic story. <laughs> Thanks, man. So uh, thank you so much for sharing the line with us today. I really appreciate it. 
Thank you, buddy. Awesome, man. Stay in touch, and uh, we'll be talking to you soon, brother. Sounds good, mate. Take care. That's yeah.